This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. From Cedarburg Public Library Radio. You're tuned to the Steve Donahue Show on CPL Radio, your one-stop daily source for Steve's take on the world of books. And now your host, the book critic who literally reads everything, Steve Donahue. This is our tour through my Penguin Classic wall, uh, book by book and author by author, and lately, theme by theme, I I belatedly remembered to concentrate on Victorian literature for the tail end of October. That was a lot of fun. Wish I'd thought about that for the whole month. But then, as soon as October ended, another gigantic booktube event hove onto the horizon, and that's uh, Nonfiction November. Uh, hosted by Olive at a book, Olive, and a bunch of other great people in which you are encouraged to read more nonfiction. <laughs> so I thought, I thought we would at least concentrate in our penguins in November on nonfiction to finish out the March of the Penguins for 2020. <laughs> uh, and today's, uh, is a, a penguin paperback. It's a trade paperback that I've had for a while. It's the old style. And I go back to it, but I don't often go back to it in this particular paperback. So this is another example where a uh, disconcerting number of my Penguin paperbacks are backups uh, that I value for their consistency, their consistent editorial excellence, their introductions, their footnotes, that sort of thing. But they aren't; they don't tend to be the version that I go to to read the book. We've seen a number of those here, 
in this tour. And this is another one of those. This is Life on the Mississippi by the great Mark Twain. Classic boring penguin cover. This is the old style penguin classic design with the block white letters and the uh, the color coded banner on the top. Uh, don't know why publishers do things like that. I don't have any idea why they do things like that, but nevertheless, uh, it's it, it's almost like they're somebody in their marketing division is delusional enough to think that there isn't going to come a day 35 years from now when people are going to say, what on earth does that mean? Why are some colors different from others? Uh, one way or another, uh, this is an odd composite book, and I usually go for uh, a different edition. The one that I reach for is a nice illustrated edition uh, that doesn't so much care about the this book's admittedly weird textual provenance. <laughs> this was originally... Uh, the core of this book was originally written in a series of articles for the Atlantic Monthly. William Dean Howells dragged a series of articles out of Mark Twain, mainly by paying him a king's ransom. Well, that part never gets recorded. But, uh, about Twain's life on the Mississippi River. And about the history of the Mississippi River and opening up the West for uh, white conquest. <laughs> uh, and those articles came out in 1875. And then years later, in the early 1880s, Mark Twain thought, dreamed, talked to everybody he knew, talked to, uh, to friends and his wife and acquaintances, literary acquaintances of all kinds, about writing a big Mississippi book. Mississippi was always a part of him. It, it, was always, it always filled him with an idea that it had unlimited potential for books and book sales. <laughs> He's absolutely right about that. And he, of course, is the poet laureate of the Mississippi River. Uh, and this is that book, but uh, he decided uh, to reuse all of the material from the Atlantic Monthly, from those pieces, and to reuse them, uh, to reuse those pieces largely in undigested form. So they are, this is really a grafting of two different books. Uh, I've always been intensely disappointed by that as a decision. It, it's a reminder that this is an author who could be very lazy <laughs> and very opportunistic, thinking, why why shouldn't I get paid to write the same thing twice? I think it, it weakens the book. The editor of this volume, uh, James Cox, if I remember correctly, in his introduction, he makes or starts to make the case that the, the that Life on the Mississippi, the finished book Life on the Mississippi, no matter how much of those earlier uh, articles it incorporates, is a stronger and different work because Mark Twain was older. And because this is, unlike those earlier, those earlier articles, this is a book by the guy who wrote Huckleberry Finn. Uh, and that that maturation somehow gives a benison over the whole thing. I've never seen that myself. I, this is an immensely enjoyable book. Immensely enjoyable. Uh, and you end up enjoying it despite its flaws, its, its structural flaws, that, you know, a, a long walk in quiet in the woods and then three weeks of solid work at your writing desk, or famously when it comes to this book, at a typewriter, although it wasn't Mark Twain, it was his amanuensis, uh, that one of those long walks and three weeks just pondering and working would have been enough to fix the structural problems instead of just bequeathing them on... A hundred generations of English majors. <laughs> you, you could have just fixed them. I think the same thing about that alleged masterpiece about Huck Finn. It has famous 
infamous structural flaws that aren't insoluble. They could have been fixed. Um, but I'm not going to start yelling at Mark Twain again. <laughs> so I'm just going gonna to leave your, your penguin for today is a recommend. It is a recommend pretty much always to spend time with this author. With possibly only one exception, and that was his own favorite among his books, which is one of the only things he ever wrote that is virtually unreadable. And that's his book on Joan of Arc. <laughs> so he loved it most of all. Uh, but you won't, I guarantee it. But you'll love Life on the Mississippi if you haven't read it already. It's the only reason that I sound like I have a little hesitation in my voice is because this is not ultimately the book that I want, the, the version of this that I want. There, there is a, a steady realization going on with this March of the Penguins that uh, about what I need to keep and what I don't, about what I want in my book collection and what I don't. And over the decades... I have often thought of my Penguin collection, whether it be a bookcase or a whole wall, as my backup. It's the bookcase where I go the most, I wander around the most, and I consult the most. But I've often thought of the books in there as my backup. They are sort of the, the backstop, but they aren't always my favorite editions. We've seen some that were, but especially works in translation. The ethos of translation is always changing. Uh translators bless their hearts are always trying new things and that means that a 50 year old 100 year old 200 year old or 400 year old translation of something might have its charms but it won't be in any given season my favorite translation of that work usually and also uh there's just the lineup of critical apparatus and introductions and textual choices and, and even aesthetic design Usually when you line up all of those factors together, it's not the Penguin Classic that wins for me, whether it's uh, Leaves of Grass or uh, House of the Seven Gables or uh, the Oregon Trail or uh, you name it. it. It's often not that. For every one instance, like for instance, the Penguin Classic uh, deluxe edition of The Tale of Genji, Oh my, <laughs> by the Royal Tyler translation. Or that, that three-volume Penguin Classic David Wormsley edition of Gibbon's Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Every, things like that, yes, absolutely. But a vast number of other things, no. <laughs> no. In, in a vast number of other things, my favorite edition of something, the thing that I like the most, won't be uniform. Usually, they won't be uniform. So that, so that you have a wall of penguins with classics like this, and then you have all the other books in this room that are, in large part, classics like this, only in different forms. Uh, and that lately, <laughs> lately, especially in the last week, this last achy muscle dust-encrusted week of moving books and porting books and shoving books and wrestling with books, in this last week especially, I have thought and rethought about the wisdom of having a backup like that. About the wisdom of that. I, because as often as I go to a Penguin Classic as a quote-unquote backup, to look at the introduction or the notes, I do that once in a while, but most often I catch myself, I'm just going back for the text. I'm not going back for the introduction or notes. Most often the introductions annoyed me. The notes are incomplete or, in my case, unnecessary. Most of the time I'm going back for the text. And if that's true, <laughs> if that's true... And I have no fewer than 30 technological devices here, each one of which is capable of downloading a perfectly 
cleanly curated version of that book, of that text, that doesn't require me to get up, doesn't require me to tuck a dog under my arm, doesn't require me to brush things off or shift things around to get at them. I can just, you know, it, it occurs to me uh, that I would like to know that particular, I'd like to relook at that particular section of Leviathan. Well, for decades, the or, or that the, that particular uh, section of Life on the Mississippi, to use the version of the book that we're talking about today, from time immemorial, if I were in my easy chair or on my reading couch or on the bed here in this little reading room or wherever this reading room was, and I wanted to do that, well, I had to shift dogs. Now, that was plural for my whole life until now. I have only one dog now, but I still have to shift her. And like all dogs, any any dog owner, or for that matter, I've heard this story endlessly from cat owners as well. There's some weird science, some weird mysticism involved in, in dogs and cats, even little ones, maybe even especially little ones, that when they come into contact with a warm blanket, they expand, both in size and in weight. <laughs> so it becomes a major architectural thing to shift a dog, even a little dog. Now, I, I don't so much have that problem right now because I have only one dog and she's only 10 pounds. And on top of that, she's extremely alert for any motion and wants to be part of it. So in, in a few years, yes, when she wants to sleep 20 hours a day, then it'll be different. But my point is I've had to shift dogs, get up, go over to that wall, find the book. And that's not always easy because a lot of these things have been double stacked for years. You dust it off and then it, handle it. Somehow maneuver it with one hand, usually caring for a dog with the other hand, or multiple dogs with the other hand. When, if it's just the text I'm after, that's no longer necessary at all. I, I, I am never now out of arm's reach of a, a glass and metal tablet that can download, display, read, search, file, store. this These texts, without doing any of that without any of that being necessary so and that i mean that 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 uh contention that i'm making right now that's causing a lot of you to squint or have spasms is uh important when thinking about a printed book collection at all for me because that what i just everything that i just said is applicable every much to every other book as it is to penguin classics but it's especially applicable to canonical classics, all of which exist for free online. Uh, it, it's not just every other book like that. It also especially applies to this Penguin Wall. There's been a kind of a, a voyage of discovery for the whole of 2020 for me to really look at this wall with new eyes. And this is a perfect example. This is a perfect example. I, what was his name again? James Cox. I, if I remember correctly, he does a fairly good job with his introduction. Um... Except that he falls into the pitfall that so many people who deal editorially with Mark Twain fall into, which is trying to explain humor. It's always a bad idea. I, I do it all the time, but only when explaining New Yorker cartoons that are 50 or 60 years old. That's all. Uh, but even then, when even when I do it, and I'm the soul of charm, it's completely tedious. <laughs> so, uh, but there you have, in a nutshell, the whole problem of what I'm talking about. Because you've heard me say it now six times in this video, if I remember correctly. That's a perfect illustration. I haven't read Cox's introduction in forever. I have gone back to this book a few times in the last maybe 15 years. But not to his introduction, certainly not to his notes. 
I know the story of, of the genesis of this book. I've gone back to it in one form or another very many times because, uh, well, I don't know, I don't know how many of you, uh, have ever experienced the Mississippi, seen it, maybe looked out your window in an airplane flight and looked down and seen it, uh, maybe crossed it on a train trip. Uh, but to live with it, to live alongside it, to know its, its moods and its tempers and its seasons, and to feel it as an absolute constant in a way that a big, big river can do, where it's constantly moving, constantly talking to you, but also constantly the same. I, I have experienced that. And so the Mississippi for me is not just another river on a map. And that, that adds to the allure of this book, although not in this form. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's enough, that's enough of that for now. That is your, 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 uh, your penguin for today, of course, is a recommend. <laughs> uh, some of the more contrarian among you are probably even now looking around for a cheap copy of Joan of Arc. But <laughs> don't say I didn't warn you. But other than that, this author is pretty much always worth your uh, your acquaintance. This book is absolutely full of tongue-in-cheek humor. It's full of affection. It's a lot warmer and more affectionate a book than most of what Mark Twain wrote. Uh, because here, he was an older man, a more famous man, revisiting his anonymous youth and gilding the lily on his anonymous youth, changing himself, changing the, the, the Samuel Clemens who is in these stories. He, in this book... As much as in his other great travel writing, Innocence Abroad or uh, uh, Roughing It, in this book, just like in those books, he is engaged in Mark Twain's, ar ar what was arguably his favorite thing to do, which was mythologize himself. Uh, and that is, that is marvelous to see. He does it so well. So, so, uh, so this is, of course, a recommend. I don't know if I'm recommending this particular volume, but picking up a copy of Life on the Mississippi and trying to read it will not do you any harm. <laughs> so that's your penguin for today. The Steve Donahue Show is a production of CPL Radio, a service of the Cedarburg Public Library located in Cedarburg, Wisconsin. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started.